You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A win. Welcome into Locked on Rockets, your home for daily and post-game commentary on the Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the official flagship radio station of the team. As we chat on this Sunday morning, what a huge win it was for the Rockets in Portland on Saturday night, 124-117, wrapping up a 3-0 road trip. The Rockets are now 20-4 on the season, number one in the Western Conference. They've won nine consecutive games. 15 of 16, but the final score doesn't do what happened justice because the real story, folks, the Rockets were down 14 going into the fourth quarter. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum were going off. It seemed like this was just one of those games that happens over the course of 82. Everything was going against them, and yet somehow the Rockets just obliterated Portland 40-19 to in the fourth quarter to turn a 14-point deficit entering the frame into a 7-point win and one that wasn't even really that dramatic in the final minute because the Rockets had complete control. Just an incredible feel-good win because I would say the Rockets may have now graduated to the point where they're, you know, people know this is the best team in the NBA. That's what uh, Terry Stotts, the coach of Portland, said after the game. And so one thing we talked about a few weeks ago on this show was that Perhaps an advantage the Rockets have in the race for the number one seed in the West against the Warriors is that for the Warriors, every game is treated like Game 7 in the NBA Finals. Every game they play, they get the other team's best shot. Well, it may be to the point where the Rockets, people know how good they are, and they're getting that kind of shot too. There was an extra, you know, there was extra juice at everyone's step, most notably Lillard and McCollum, who combined for 63 points on 50% shooting. Blazers shot out of their minds from three, did so many things well, and yet the Rockets, when it mattered, were able to flip the switch, and the Blazers just were not able to match it. And that, to me, is what great teams do. It's not always going to be pretty, especially when you factor in the level of energy that some teams will play you with over the course of 82 games that you're not going to have every night. But when it mattered, did the Rockets ever deliver? So in our usual three-points recap style, I'm going to start with my biggest takeaway from this game, which was that the Rockets found yet another way to win, and specifically it was with that small ball lineup in the fourth quarter, the one they used to close the game, the tuck wagon, with P.J. Tucker at the five, Trevor Ariza at the four, and then all three guards, Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon at the one through three spots, or really whatever you want to call it. Now, James Harden and Chris Paul were obviously your standouts from a statistical perspective. Harden had 48 points on 16 of 29 shooting, also had 8 rebounds and 3 assists. Chris Paul had 26 points and 7 assists, 8 of 14 from the field. So between them, James Harden and Chris Paul combined for 74 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists. That's just staggering between two players. And as good as Lillard and McCollum were, Chris Paul and James Harden were even better. But the real story for the Rockets in the fourth quarter it wasn't just about James Harden or Chris Paul. It was about how that lineup worked together. And if you listen to the show after Thursday's game against Utah, one of my primary takeaways was that the Rockets were able to dictate the style of play. The Jazz are typically a team that wants to play big. So by virtue of throwing Ryan Anderson out there, and Ryan also had a great shooting night that night, 23 points, 9-11 from the field, it essentially shot the Jazz out of the way they typically want to play, which is that big, bruising front line of Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. In this one, 
it was a little different because the Blazers, they're without Yusuf Nurkic. Um, so essentially, the Blazers wanted to play smaller. They had Myers Leonard get hot for a little bit in the first half, but by and large, the Blazers were going to go as far as C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard could take them. And to their credit, they were really good. As I said, 63 points combined. Lillard, in particular, 9 of 16 from behind the arc, just made some absurd, absurd shots. Just an incredible game from those two that you have to uh, tip your hat. But they just went as small as they could for the spacing. You, you had Aminu out there, Evan Turner from time to time, Noah Vonley, I mean, poor guy, young big from Indiana, just got abused by Harden on switches a lot. But the, the point is, what Portland was trying to do, they were trying to play as small as possible, play with pace, do whatever it took to get out in transition and give Lillard and McCollum the best chance to bring them home because that's the recipe that had worked for them for so much of the first three quarters of that game. So the Rockets... Again, it was Ryan's night on Thursday. Maybe you couldn't play super small against the Jazz because those tuck wagon lineups, if you're going up against uh, Rudy Gobert, who's over seven feet tall, then at some point, even if you're trying to play with speed and defensive versatility, you may run into an issue there. But um, yeah, Thursday was Ryan Anderson's night. Whereas Saturday, it wasn't at all. Ryan had played just 17 minutes and scored two points on one of four from the field. And yet the Rockets were still able to play a completely different style and shoot the opponent out of it. Because in the Tuck Wagon lineup, again, Tucker, Ariza up front, and then the three guards, not only did you have Harden and Paul creating from a scoring and playmaking perspective, but you also had the defensive versatility, the switching of uh, Ariza and Tucker to where Really, the Rockets forced numerous turnovers in the fourth quarter. I thought Ariza, in particular, was brilliant, whether he was asked to pick up Damian, uh, McCollum, whoever it was. Trevor, I don't think it's a coincidence, in his 34 minutes, yeah, he scored 13 points, 4 of 7 from the field, 3 of 4 from behind the arc, but he was a team best, plus 19 in the plus-minus, and I think that speaks to the defensive value he brought to the Rockets in this game. And when you look at the fourth quarter, when they turned that 14-point deficit into a 7-point win, the 19 is as just important as the 40. Yes, the Rockets scored 40 points offensively. It was great. 15 of 18 from the field. James Harden and Chris Paul combined for 25 points on 9 of 10 shooting. That's amazing. Again, the team shot 83%, slightly above that. Harden and Paul shot 90%. But you also, at the same time, held the Blazers to just 19, a team that was so red hot that they'd scored 98 in the first three quarters. So it took a, a collaborative effort on both ends, and as much as it's going to be tempting to give Chris Paul and James Harden the credit, and they do deserve a hell of a lot of it, let's not forget the that tuck wagon lineup, the defensive versatility, the options it gave the Rockets. We can even throw Eric Gordon in there as well, and it goes without saying Chris Paul, because Chris Paul just has so many timely steals, one of the smartest players I've ever seen play the game. But I thought especially up front, the fact that the Rockets could switch on everything. They were so active in the passing lanes. There were so many situations down the stretch where the Blazers couldn't even get a shot off because the Rockets had so many active hands. Every one of those guys can play in space. And it's just amazing to me because it was just the complete opposite. As I said, well, it, it, you know, th there are some common themes, of course. Both of those came without Clint Capella. So in some ways, it was a variation of small ball. But whereas Thursday, it was about the offense. It was about the floor spacing on that side. And to some extent, that happened on Saturday as well. But I thought Saturday it was more about the defensive versatility. It was about scaling down to match the Blazers, but at the same time, in addition to scaling down, you wanted that defensive versatility, you wanted that extra speed, whereas uh, Thursday in Utah, combination of A, Ryan had the hot hand, and B, he's got a little bit more height, and that may have been required against Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors, whoever the big was at, at a given moment. But in both cases, the theme is the same. Even with different personnel, the Rockets can find a way. 
there are so many different ways that this team can win. It can be with the offense lineup, it can be with going big, because we've seen Clint Capella step up for huge portions of this year, or they can go with the super small switching, you know, defensive versatility lineup, which they did in that tuck wagon combination in the fourth quarter. There are so many different ways that the Rockets can win ball games, and that to me is the primary takeaway from this, is that you know, both of these last few games in the road trip, the Jazz, the Blazers, they forced the Rockets out of their comfort zone. They forced them to do some different things. And it wasn't as if the Rockets had just one answer and then all of a sudden, well, how is the league going to adjust to that? No, in both of them, there were two different answers. And both worked. That's how good this team is. There are so many potential combinations with the nine men that are in that regular rotation that it's just very, very difficult to see how this team loses very many basketball games because it's not just the star power, it's not just the quality of the starting five, it's just the numerous combinations you can throw out there with, you know, a role player supporting cast, you know, if you need the offensive Ryan Anderson, that's there, if you need the defense of the guys like P.J. Tucker, Trevor Ariza, Luke Bamute, there are just so many ways that they can go. Even a guy who did not play well on Saturday, Nene, coming off the scratch cornea, he was a minus 15 in his 10 minutes, seemed to get lost on a lot of the switches because, as we were saying, Portland tried to make it a game in which uh, they were playing with kind of pace and space, not very much from the standpoint of traditional bigs with Nurkic out. And, you know, we haven't even seen like a prototype Nene game more than once or twice this year, but you know he has that in him, which we saw game four of the playoffs last year against Steven Adams in Oklahoma City. So even though it's a nine-man rotation, the Rockets have so many different styles they can play within those nine men that it just makes it very, very difficult to see this team, if it's healthy, losing many games, or if we're taking a step further, losing four games out of seven in a playoff series. Now, I wanted to start off by this talking about the style of play, the first point, because, yes, that's that's pretty fascinating, especially when you come off Thursday night winning the way they did with Ryan, then finding a different way to win in the fourth quarter. Second point, it's related, but yeah, let's give James Harden and Chris Paul their due. Yeah, the role players stepped up, and you know I didn't want to go into the podcast very far without acknowledging the defense of guys like Trevor Ariza, but boy, Chris Paul and James Harden, again, 74 points combined on... 30, or, or no, excuse me, 74 points combined on 24 of 43 shooting from the field. Both were above 50% combined, 5 of 11 from behind the arc. Uh, in the fourth quarter, 9 of 10 for 25 points. Just superb. And the thing that really stood out to me about the usage of Chris Paul and James Harden in this one, we've been waiting for a while to see what would happen when the Rockets had a close game. Because, you know, we've talked so much about Chris Paul and James Harden over the course of 48 minutes, a Hall of Fame point guard being out there, and the vast majority of games, you're going to win by such a healthy margin that you may not even need one of those guys, to, or those guys to play together, excuse me, down the stretch because you're so good, the game has just been a laugher by the time it really matters. Of course, that's not going to happen the entire year, especially in the playoffs. So we've been waiting to see how are these guys going to play together. Because even though they stagger the minutes to where you at least have one out there all the time, there are going to be times you need to see them play together, especially if it's in a tight game and you need all hands on deck. And that was the case on Saturday with the Blazers having a 14-point lead. And they didn't just play well. They, I mean, just silly. Again, over 83% shooting in the fourth quarter between the two of them, uh, 9 of 10 for 25 points. As James... 
Harden said after the game, we needed some adversity. We've been kind of cruising. And that comes with the territory when you win most of your games by 15, 20 plus points. But boy, we saw what would happen when they got when they first took a punch and they responded like you'd want a championship team to do. And that's a really great sign because yeah, it's easy when you have the talent. The Rockets, you know, yes, we talk about their grit, we talk about their mentality, but they are a really, really talented basketball team, period. So yeah, it's easy when things are going well. What happens when you get punched in the mouth and things don't go well? And so to see the team collectively respond as they did, but also James Harden and Chris Paul together, it's just an amazing thing to see. And as Daryl Morey said after the game on Twitter, ridiculous win. Portland played amazing. And they made so many shots. It was early in the fourth quarter. I tweeted out that Portland had 17 made threes. Houston had seven. And it was tough to see the math working when you have that kind of a discrepancy. Usually that works to the Rockets' favor. And the common thread between both the Utah games and the Portland game, and how it correlates to Chris Paul and James Harden, teams have started to overplay the Rockets like crazy from three. And Quinn Snyder did it Thursday, Terry Stotts did it Saturday. Those are two of the better X's and O's coaches in the NBA, in my opinion. So you're seeing, you know, when the Rockets have been so good for so long, you're seeing right now, in my opinion, the league is saying, okay, what's going to happen if we just take away the threes, sell out to overplay on the perimeter, do whatever it takes to not let them get their looks. And we saw a few adjustments in the third quarter by the Rockets against the Jazz the other night. We didn't see it for that long because the Rockets blew up the lead so quickly to 25 that, again, there weren't many high leverage minutes in the fourth quarter. But you could start to see how the Rockets kind of uh, would attack that scenario. And it was James Harden going to the rim. It was Chris Paul uh, well, also driving, pulling up in the mid-range game because he hasn't had quite the height or explosion of James. So with Chris, uh, that mid-range shot is his bread and butter off the dribble. But you could start to see what the Rockets' adjustment to the adjustment was. And that's exactly what happened in the fourth quarter. You're wondering how the Rockets went 15 of 18 from the field, how Harden and Paul went 9 of 10. Folks, it's because they went right to the rim. Every single time, the Blazers, they overplay the perimeter, they switched on everything. As I said leading off, poor Noah Vonley. I mean, Harden just abused young big man out of Indiana several times. They switched, the Blazers offered no help, the Blazers made it clear that they were not going to double, they were not going to give the Rockets open threes. Kind of surprised me, I mean, I would have at least down the stretch, you know, left someone inside and say, hey, I'm going to make P.J. Tucker or Trevor Ariza, two guys who are pretty good shooters, but not elite. I'm going to make one of those guys make a three before I give up yet another layup to James Harden or Chris Paul. That's not what happened. They were bound and determined. No matter what, they were going to take away the threes. That's something we saw for large stretches of the Utah game as well, other than the man guarding Ryan Anderson. And the adjustment for the Rockets is they just went to the cup. They found wherever the matchup was. Sometimes it was, again, if you had Vonley, a big man switched on to Harden, that he should not be able to, if they're able to isolate and clear space for James, Vonley should not be able to move side to side. And one of them, he couldn't even stand up. Um, and then sometimes it was attacking Damian Lillard because Lillard, uh, he's been dealing with a tweaked ankle for a couple of weeks. He rolled it again late in the third quarter. He did return because Lillard's one of the toughest guys in the NBA. But they knew that especially defensively, he could not move side to side. He was essentially playing on a bum wheel. So you could see that whether it was Chris, whether it was James, whoever it was that, that uh, Lillard picked up, they knew the value of going one-on-one -on -one against him because he was a liability. And there are going to be games where it's more complex. Again, this one... From a tactical standpoint, the adjustment was kind of easy for the Rockets because if you're going to overplay to the extent that the Blazers did and you have two guys that are as good as James Harden and Chris Paul, then, uh, yeah, you're just going to go straight to the rim. The 
the quote from Harden after the game via Jonathan Fagan in the Houston Chronicle. Harden said, we went small. They had to adjust to us and go small. Once they did that, we had shooters on the court. The lane was wide open. Layup, 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 three ball. That's exactly what it felt like. And there weren't even very many three balls. I like they used three layups and one three in that uh, reference because that's what it felt like. The vast majority were just layups in which they got straight to the rim. And in this one, the, again, the, the the adjustment was not just sheer brilliance. This is just basic basketball X's and O's. That's what made sense. There are going to be other games where I think the Jazz and Blazers, maybe partly because they're outmanned, I think they just say, hey, I want to give... I want to give myself a chance. And they know if the Rockets get going from three, there's no chance. If they take away that, at least there's you know, hope to where the math can work, especially if you get hot from three yourself, which the Blazers did. For three quarters, it was the perfect storm. The Rockets could not get their usual number of threes. And it wasn't that the Rockets shot poorly. Again, the Rockets were actually 10 of 25 from the field from three for the game. They shot 40%, so it's not as if they shot poorly. It's the volume. They only got 25 looks off, which tells you how much the Blazers were overplaying, how aggressive they were on the perimeter. And for three quarters, the Blazers kind of hit the lottery. The Rockets couldn't get their three-point looks. As I said, Damian Lillard, 9 of 16 from three. He was just playing out of his mind. Blazers shot almost 45%, 18 of 41. It was kind of that perfect storm between the Rockets not getting threes, Portland having a night where they were hot, then it almost offset everything else. Essentially, that's what I think Quinn Snyder and Terry Stotts were doing with this strategy, and ultimately the Rockets, in both cases, were able to adjust. Now, the adjustment in this case, as I said, fairly simple. There are going to be games in which it's not going to be as simple as just a layup line, and you know you may need to have a more complex offense than just isolating and find, finding wherever the weakest spot is to attack. But even with this being relatively easy tactically in terms of the fourth quarter adjustment for the Rockets, the selflessness, that's something I said after Utah on Thursday, the selflessness on both James and Chris's behalf, I think is a big deal. There was no hero ball. There was no waiting until five seconds on the shot clock to initiate the offense and then trying to cross up and hit a three at the buzzer. There was no, this is my team. It was a matter of, who had the mismatch, and how can we best exploit that? And in the case of you know this lineup, in which the, the Blazers had no real rim protection uh, with Nurkic out, it's not like they could really do much anyway in terms of bigs inside. Myers Leonard uh, made a few shots in the first half, but he's largely unplayable. Um, there was just no hero ball, in my opinion, and that's the biggest takeaway. It, there are a lot of teams where I think late-game situations devolve into that for the Rockets. It was just a calm, you know, just surgical precision. And I think that's the influence of Chris Paul. It's not about any individual player. This is my time to take it home. This is my time for the big shot. It's just about looking at it. Where is the biggest mismatch? What can I exploit to get on this possession and score? Just every possession, maximize your efficiency, one possession at a time, not even looking at the game. And this is where I'm supposed to take over. No, it's just how can I win this possession? And that's the approach that I think we saw from the two of them. It paid off. Again, there are going to be more complex games than this. I'm not naive in that with the way the Blazers play, that exaggerated overplaying style on the perimeter uh, made it a little bit easy in terms of what adjustment the Rockets made. And, you know, certainly it's not easy because most teams don't have guys like James Harden and Chris Paul that are that damn good at exploiting it. Don't get me wrong. But even with it being, you know, easy on paper, easy to say, that doesn't make it easy to do because there are a lot of egos in the NBA. And it's yet another sign that, you know, in addition to all the talent, the Rockets, and it starts with those two guys, Chris Paul, James Harden, they have the right mentality and that it's about the team, it's not about them. And in this case, 
as I said, it seemed to shift. You know, there were stretches when it was Chris. There were stretches when it was James. Uh, Trevor Ariza hit a couple of big shots. It was about making the play they needed to do to succeed on that possession. And ultimately, that level of commitment was what led to the 40-19 fourth quarter that put the Rockets in position to uh, completely turn a game that had gone Portland's way over the first three quarters. Now, I know a lot of you are wondering, why were the Rockets down 14 to begin with? And even though this was a really great feel-good win, I don't want to acknowledge, I don't want to not acknowledge, excuse me, the negatives and what got the Rockets in that hole in the first place. Now, as I said, a lot of it you do have to give credit to the Blazers, particularly Lillard and McCollum. They played phenomenally well, especially from three. They made a ton of tough shots. Portland's as difficult as an arena of an arena as there is in the league. It was the third game of a week-long West Coast road trip for the Rockets, so there may have been some tired legs. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances, so I'm not going to be too disappointed over the first three quarters, especially when the Rockets flipped it as they did. Nonetheless, they were outscored by 14 in the first three, including uh, 36 to 22 in the third quarter. Uh, the defense was certainly not always great. Clint Capella, again, has not had the best road trip in the third quarter. I thought he was especially weak. You could see uh, this felt like a little bit of that homestand with the Knicks, the the Nuggets, the Nets a couple of weeks ago when it seemed like, you know, since the Blazers weren't really playing big, again, no Nurkic, Clint got, kind of got caught in no man's land in terms of what his responsibilities are. And this was one of the first times I would say that another team has tried to stretch Clint which the Blazers largely did, especially with Myers Leonard early in the game. I thought he looked a little uncertain of what his defensive response, responsibilities were. Uh, Ed Davis had some quality minutes off the bench. We mentioned Noah Vonley, uh, who only played 12 minutes, but for some reason Vonley was out there in the fourth quarter, and uh, Harden took full advantage of that. But as far as the Rockets, they only scored 22 points in the third quarter as well. And when you look at where the deficiencies were offensively. Again, it certainly wasn't Chris and James. And, you know, Nene, I should mention him in the low lights because, as I said earlier, it, it seemed like the Blazers playing small. Nene, Nene, this was just too quick of a game for him. He got lost on a lot of the switches. But the name I keep going back to is Eric Gordon because this has not been the best month for Eric. And a lot of you guys on Twitter are, are anxious about it. I get it. I looked up the stats since November 12th. Twelfth. Uh, that's his last ten games. Feels like that. You know, it's, that's basically a month because we're chatting now on December tenth. They're only in ten games because the Rockets had so many games early in the season. There's been a lot of spaced out time lately. But in the past ten games, Eric is shooting thirty three percent from the field and barely over twenty percent from three. And Saturday was not exactly uh, a bounce back game. He did have twelve points, but he was two of six on the field. One of five from three. It felt like late in the third quarter, a stretch in which you'd like to see the energy from him because you take out uh, first Chris, then James. You're trying to get them uh, some minutes to get uh, some minutes on the bench to get ready for that fourth quarter stretch drive, and Eric did not have it. It's a continuation of a trend, and folks ask, "What are the Rockets going to do about it?" and I think it's important to discuss it. I I know a lot of you have been asking me to for a while, and I would say this is why the Rockets, especially the bench units, did not function that well in Portland, because typically you kind of expect Eric, other than uh, Chris, to be the the anchor of that. And that hasn't really happened. And 
as I've said before, I don't really think it's correlated to the return of Chris Paul because this stretch, as I said, it goes back to November 12th, and that predates when Chris Paul came back. And in the first two games that Chris Paul came back, he only played about 20 minutes. But, yeah, you go back, um, he was 0 of 7 in, the, that was the, the loss to Toronto, the only loss the Rockets have had in the last six, 16 games. Gordon was 0 of 7 from 3, and that was the game, again, before Chris Paul came back. This is not just a new phenomenon from the standpoint of he's not integrating well with Chris. The other factor is that we have seen explosion from Eric off the dribble from time to time. I thought especially the first game of this road trip in L.A. when he had 20 points in the first half, ended up with 22 for the game, 9 of 18 from the field. It's not as if he looks hurt. Now, he did miss one game in there, the home win against Denver with a strained calf. Maybe it's possible there's an impact on that with his long-range shot. But it's not as if there's something, to me, when you see him attacking off the dribble, when you see him playing aggressively on defense, that just screams, this guy is playing hurt and there's an issue. Now, certainly you need to sit him down and ask him to be honest, is there something going on? But if not, it's not unprecedented. Even for a month, these types of slumps do happen. It is a negative for the team. However, you can be thankful that the Rockets have only lost one game in that stretch. Again, that Toronto one in which he was 0-7 from the field. And as I said, also keep in mind, that happened before the return of Chris Paul. So, the, the, the long and short of it, to get down to the kind of the root of the issue, what's going on? I don't know. Quite frankly, I don't think the Rockets even know. Because as I said, if it was as simple as a guy who's just worn down and there's an injury, I think it would be much more obvious in other things besides just his three-point shooting. But his, his athleticism seems there. His energy seems there. He doesn't seem like a guy to me who is going through the motions. He looks like a guy to me who is just missing shots. And maybe it's selection, although on this road trip, I think he's gotten better looks. He still just missed them. Maybe it's mechanics. The one thing I would caution, especially if the team is winning games, I think it's probably to the Rockets' advantage not to make too big of a deal out of this, at least publicly. Now, privately, on the practice court, then, yeah, do whatever's going on. They've got very trained shooting specialists. They can help him. They can look at his form, and I'm sure they're going to do those things. Publicly, I don't think, especially when you are winning games, that you want to go out and put a ton of pressure on a guy, get him to start thinking too much, getting that in his head. No, part of what the Rockets want in Mike D'Antoni's offense is for folks to play freely, to go out there and play without thinking, to go out there and just go by instinct, because the green light is always there in this scheme, especially with the pace at which they play and the number of possessions, which is much higher than the the league average. So I don't think the answer is to not play Eric Gordon. I don't think the, the answer is to call him out. I think that you, you go out there and you hope that he's going to pull himself out of it. And I think it's important to look at this from the standpoint of number of games rather than number of weeks. Because I hear a lot of folks saying, well, this has been going on a month now. It has. However, that's only 10 games for him. 10 out of 82. I mean, there are guys in the NBA who have down seasons shooting. This is 10 games out of 82. That's barely over 10% of the season. So I know it's frustrating, but A, be thankful it hasn't really cost the Rockets games other than maybe the Toronto one. And God, if the Rockets had been that, they would have won 16 in a row. Jesus. But uh, beyond that, I don't think, especially when you're winning games, that you want to psych the guy out and just make this about what he's what he's not doing, especially with the team playing so well. I think what makes the Rockets what they are is the freedom and the joy that these guys play with on the court. And as frustrating as it is, remember, 
it's 10 games out of 82. It's a downstretch, but the Rockets aren't even losing games because of it. The other thing I would point out there, folks, even with Gordon not playing that well, he was still in that closing lineup. That's how much Mike D'Antoni still values him. And, folks, Mike has a lot of other good options at his disposal. If he doesn't like, because he's got a backcourt of Chris Paul and James Harden. So it's not like they had to play small with Eric Gordon. They could have gone with Lupa Mute out there. They could have, you know, certainly Ryan Anderson, Clint Capella, if they wanted to go bigger. There were a lot of ways that they could have turned, and yet Eric was still the option, even with the slump that he's been in for 10 games. So I think that speaks to the value they see of him as a creator. I think that speaks to, even with him not shooting that well, the level of attention he draws from opposing defenses. Because Eric's one of those guys, yeah, he can shoot 20% from three over the past uh, 10 games, and yet the other team is still going to be afraid to leave him in the corner because that's how good of a shooter he is. And for Mike D'Antoni, again, this is a stretch for the Rockets, their first competitive game in the fourth quarter in a long while. So we've wanted to see for a while how the Rockets are going to respond when they get punched in the mouth. And we talked about the small ball lineup, the tuck wagon. We talked about what James Harden and Chris Paul did. Well, I think it's also telling that when the chips were down, when things were really close down the stretch, Mike D'Antoni wanted Eric Gordon out there. And even though he didn't score late, I would actually argue that the most meaningful five points of the entire game came from Eric Gordon early in the fourth quarter. Because if you remember, the Rockets entered the fourth, down 14, and the Blazers had the ball. And this was a game, again, the Rockets have had so much success lately. They entered having won eight in a row, 14 to 15, that it would be very easy for the Rockets to say, this isn't our night. It's the last game of a road trip. This happens. Willard and McCollum are on fire. And the Rockets were down 14. And defensively, there were a couple of big steals from P.J. Tucker and Chris Paul. They also forced a shot clock violation. You can see they were dialed in on that. But Eric got to the rim for a layup, and then he hit a three off an assist from Chris Paul. But that right there, in less than a minute, the Rockets cut that 14-point deficit to single digits, 14-9, to and from then, it was game on. And that's so huge, because if you follow the NBA like I do, I don't know about y'all, but for me, I view the game typically in numbers of five. I look at games that are within five points, within 10 points, within 15 points, and within 20 in terms of how secure a lead is, whether you're up or, or you're down. And in this game, to me, the most precarious spot is when you're in that 10 to 15 point range. Because at that point, especially going into the fourth quarter, it can go one of two ways. If, if the team leading gets a five point push, then that leads out to 20 and the other team's probably going to fold and that's going to be it. The flip side is that if you can score the first five or six or have a couple of really good possessions, and the reason I say five points, five points is the kind of run that happens all the time in the NBA. It literally takes just two makes and a stop, and you can have five or six points. That's how simple it is. So at the beginning of the fourth quarter, I felt like the Rockets were teetering on the brink. And if the Blazers had one of those runs, all the way to taking is a couple of buckets, they go up 18 or 19, and that's probably it. The Rockets try and rest up and uh, save their legs for this upcoming seven-game homestand in Houston. But as it turned out, the Rockets, they responded so well in that first minute, not only did it get them back in the game from the standpoint of, you know, nine points is certainly manageable, but it made clear to everyone on that Rockets bench, it made clear to the Blazers, that they're not going to go quietly into the night. And Eric Gordon's two baskets were important to that. One on a drive, and one, lo and behold, an actual three. Even though Eric was just one of five from three from the ninth, the one he made was certainly an important one, cutting it to single digits. So again, that's not meant to say that Eric had a great game. I'm very aware uh, that this has not been, as I said, a, a month 
it, it has not been ideal. But, folks, he's going to figure it out. There's way too long of a track record over his career, in my opinion, for to buy into this being anything more than a slump, unless it's injury-related, and I'm not seeing that either. And folks, again, even if you want to argue the Chris Paul thing, I don't really buy that because the slump that Erickson predates that a little bit. But the Rockets as a team, folks, before Chris Paul's return, the Rockets were shooting 34% from behind the arc, 25th in the league. Since Chris Paul's return, the Rockets as a team are shooting 42% from behind the arc. That's second in the league. From 25 to second in terms of team three-point shooting percentage, and that's even with this downstretch for Eric Gordon. So no, I don't think the return of Chris Paul is negatively impacting Eric Gordon. I think Eric's getting the same quality of looks and possibly even better. Certainly the rest of the team's getting better looks. So I just don't see the point in panicking over what amounts to 10 games. I don't think it's related to Chris Paul. I think ultimately that should only help help it for him on the long term. And also, quite frankly, I don't think that Eric is sweating this as much as some folks on Twitter are. Because folks, for Eric, for the Rockets, they don't care what their individual stat lines are. They are wanting to win games. And that's what they're doing. They've won 15 of 16, nine in a row. Even in this downstretch from Eric, they've lost freaking one game and none of them have been since the return of Chris Paul. So I get what's going on. I get the concern. It has not been a fun month for Eric at from the standpoint of seeing shots go in the basket. But I think some of you on Twitter are a little worried more, a little too worried relative to Eric himself. They're trying to win and they're doing that. And is it something that needs to be corrected? Yes, of course it is. But they're working on it, and in the grand scheme, lots of players even have poor 10-game stretches, sometimes more than that, over the course of one 82-game season. So at this point, unless there's something injury-related that we don't know about, and I'm sure the Rockets are going to ask me about that. They ask everyone to be honest about injuries. Unless that's an issue, I'm not going to lose too much sleep over it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to chalk it up to slumps happen over the course of especially a, a system like the Rockets that gives so much freedom, lots of players are going to have down stretches, and 10 games is not unheard of. It's frustrating, but the Rockets are still winning games. And for Eric, even when he's not shooting that well, he still is trusted enough to go out there in the fourth quarter in high-leverage situations. He's on the floor again. He had that 5-0 run by himself early in the fourth quarter, got the Rockets back into it, and then he was on the stretch. Uh, he was on the floor in the stretch run the last uh, four to five minutes of the game as the Rockets completed the comeback. So... Yes, it's a problem. He needs to get better. Eric Gordon is not at the all-star level he was through the first month or so of the season. But at the same time, I'm not overly concerned about it, even at this stage. It needs to get figured out, but I'm sure it will. And maybe, you know, home cooking is the way to do it. The one good thing, you go back home, you know, you're practicing. Your routine is the same day after day from in terms of the, the buckets you're practicing on, uh, what time you get to the arena, the backdrop, everything. So maybe a long homestand is exactly what he needs because you get some continuity, some rhythm, some just a regular expected routine that he can get into over these next uh, couple of weeks that the Rockets have a seven-game homestand. Next road game is actually not until Christmas night against the Thunder in Oklahoma City. So, don't know how to wrap it up any more so than that, so I will leave things right there. As always, thanks to you guys for listening. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Ben Dubos or the show at Lockdown Rockets. Also, email us, LockdownRockets at gmail.com. If you've got questions, suggestions, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better program for you, the diehard Rockets fan. 
Also, if you haven't checked it out, we've got a full Lockdown Podcast Network, which means shows covering all the NBA and NFL teams. That includes the Houston Texans, who are playing later this afternoon over at NRG Stadium against the 49ers. If you want a recap of what we learned there today, check out Lockdown Texans. That's hosted by my buddies Robert Lant and Brian Patterson. You can find them anywhere you find us, Lockdown Rockets, on this Lockdown Podcast Network, iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom. Um, or excuse me, not Audio Boom anymore, Megaphone. We've made the transition from Audio Boom to Megaphone. But yeah, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, tune in wherever you want, want to search for your podcast. Search for Lockdown Rockets, search for Lockdown Texans, search for any Lockdown show across the NBA or NFL. So with that, I hope everyone goes out and enjoys their Sunday. Once again, happy, happy final from Portland. Rockets 124, Blazers 117. Rockets have now won nine in a row, 15 of 16, 20 and four overall, and number one seed in the Western Conference. Happy Sunday, everybody.